listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. all of you and to just uh, be here with you this morning to, to share the, the word of the Lord. I hope we can all um, just collectively desire to hear from God this morning. Uh, as Pastor Charlie made it known uh, last week with uh, our first uh, Sunday gathering of the year on January 1st, uh, one of the things we just collectively want to do as we kick off each new year is just offer some reminders, uh, some reminders of um, some anchors God has really placed for us as a church as to what uh, we are going to be about and some of the things we are going to champion. And so uh, my hope for, for you this morning, if you are a member of our church and have been around, uh, that it doesn't sound like anything new. Uh, I hope it is something that you have heard before that does sound familiar, that is something we are just reminding ourselves of, of what God has called us to as a people. And so that's why we kind of just entitled it Heartbeat. We want it something that is steady and rhythmic and constant in the life of our church, things we come back to over and over and over again. And so for us as a church, uh, we want to articulate our, our mission collectively. And so uh, most people, uh, regardless of, of what church you've been into, uh, there is some similarities in how we we would articulate how the God of the Bible has called his people to interact. We can look in the scriptures and see some things that are highlighted and given special importance. So you think about uh, when Jesus was asked what was the, the greatest commandment. He said, uh, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, which is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so collectively, the Christian church, we come around that and realize like, hey, this needs to be an aspect of what we do. And so, but I would say with each unique church, like we believe in the local church and uh, God's called us specifically to this area. We're in South Arlington. We are the body here at Park Springs Bible Church. Uh, you know, we want to articulate that uniquely so that we can come around like, how is God calling us to behave as a people? And so our, our mission as a church, how we articulate it here, bringing it from the scriptures, trying to put it in language we can all uh, sink into our hearts and minds, is that we uh, exist here to discover life, in the power of God's grace, and to share his life-changing grace with others. That is our mission as a church. And I think is it important to have that? Because I, I know uh, just by a, a product of us as humans, and we can slip into routine so easily, or even depending on how you were brought up or how you view church, it can be so easy to view church as a weekly event that we attend. But that is not the biblical notion of church the church is a movement that was kicked off by Jesus Christ and continues on into this day. And so if you uh, know that portion of scripture when uh, Peter declares who Jesus is and then the first utterance, the first usage in the Bible of the term church is from this Greek word uh, called ekklesia. And it was a word that was inexistent and it meant a called out people, people that were charged with a mission. And so the church is not an event we attend. We do gather regularly on Sundays and we get to do this collectively together, but the church in its essence is a people, a called out people. We are part of the mission of God. So it is important for us, these individual churches and us specifically here, this body, this congregation, that we do articulate it as a mission. 
that is something we are a part of. There should be this movement that happens collectively and then individually as we pursue Jesus. We are part of something that is moving us forward throughout the time God gives us on this earth, hopefully closer to him. And so that's how we articulate here. We want to discover life and the power of God's grace. We look at what Jesus said, that he came to give us life and give life abundantly, and we want to experience it. We don't want to just show up to an event once a week. We want to experience that life. And so I I love that we use that word discover because I think it accurately captures the Christian life. That as we go through life and uh, we try to live the way the Bible teaches, you know, we come to church, we go to Bible study, we involve ourselves with others. It is this process of discovery over time that sometimes situations will reveal things to us about the character and nature of God. And sometimes situations will reveal things about our own character and the sinfulness that has just infected all of us. Like as we go through life, we will be learning more about ourselves and about God. And so as we do that, both individually and collectively, we want to discover the depths and the riches of the grace that God extends to us. That the God of the universe looks on my fallen state and desires to have me in his family that there is not anything that I have ever done to merit his love for me, but he bestows it. The Bible says he lavishes it upon us. Like, I think there's pieces of that that I've kind of like grown to understand and my heart and mind can get a little bit around that, but I still need to discover more and more about what that actually means for my everyday life. And not only that, we see within the scriptures, and hopefully we've all experienced that when you receive something awesome, when you experience something awesome, there should be this natural movement in your life to want to share that with others. And so once again, within the people of God, we have received something incredible in Jesus Christ, and we don't want it to exist solely here, solely for the people in this room, solely for the people that I know, but we want it for all people. And so grace received should always become grace extended. And so that's the second part of our mission statement. We want to discover it for ourselves. We want to keep pressing into that relationship so I know deep in my soul just how much God loves me, but I want others to know it too. So I want to share that with others because what the Bible uh, shows so clearly throughout the teachings of Jesus is that other people are going to know the love of God through the people of God that claim Jesus as Lord. Like that is uh, to a world that might question, is God good? The surest way we can answer that is to go be the love, grace, kindness, forgiveness of Jesus to others. And so grace received should always become grace extended. And so I love that word discover, that we want to discover life in the power of God's grace. We want to be an extension of that. We want to share that life-changing grace with other people. And so really, like we should recognize that being a part of a church Belonging here is an active participation in the life of following Jesus. Hopefully that's how we view it, and hopefully we probably know some Sunday school answers. That's a part of it. But we got to recognize it's easy to fit, uh, kind of slip into routine, slip into rhythm, like I'm just going to show up on Sunday because that's what I do. So we need these reminders to kind of pull us out of that and remember what the Bible describes, what Jesus calls us to, to be a part of his movement in the world around us. So we want an active participation in that. And so one of the things I can just recognize, and hopefully we can all uh, just affirm this morning, is that, you know, from a biblical understanding that I would say that um, my experience of Jesus is not uh, the whole experience to be had. Like so far in my pursuit of Jesus, me being a Christian, like I would just assent that although maybe I can't name all the things, I just know like Jesus is bigger than my own personal experience. 
And hopefully you can all agree to that from the oldest of us to the youngest of us, uh, the newest Christian to the one who's been following Jesus the most. Hopefully we can all just uh, collectively say like, Jesus is bigger than my own personal experience. Like I hope, I hope we're in that place this morning, like that we can just know that there's more to be had of Jesus Christ, the second person in the Trinity, the God of the universe, that I haven't experienced all there is to experience in Jesus. Hopefully we can be on the same page with that this morning. And so then the second aspect of that, hopefully if you can recognize that, like, hey, there's more to God than I know or I've personally experienced, I hope that you have a desire this morning to experience more of God. Because I, I just know how we, we, we slip into routine as Christians and we, and we do the thing and we've done the Bible study and we can uh, articulate some doctrine and we've uh, done the Bible in a year plan. We've done all the things. It can be easy to think like, okay, like I've done it. I've done the Christian thing. I've been doing this long enough. I've kind of got it figured out. But I hope we can recognize, even if it's just intellectually, that there's got to be more to God than what I've personally experienced. And if that's the case, I hope you have a desire to experience more of it that you want to press in like, okay, I, I know some of the terms, I've had some life experience, but like, there's gotta be more and I want it. Like, I hope we all can come into 2023 with a hope that by the end of this year, like, I know Jesus a little more closely. Like, that's my hope for myself. Like, I want more of God. Like, I feel like I've had some experiences in some moments where uh, Jesus just felt so real and so close and God felt so big and had these incredible moments. And like, it just, to me, it's just like that taste, like, oh, I want more of this. You know, when I've uh, read the Bible and, you know, 45 of the days, nothing much clicked, but then there's that one day where that scripture just jumps off the page and I experience something that the Holy Spirit is doing in my heart through the word of God. It's like, oh, I want more of that. And so I hope collectively we can come around that idea this morning. I think another thing we realize typically within the church and how we uh, teach the Bible often and just collectively acknowledge is that Christians should look different than the world. You know, we kind of use that distinction often, like this might be what the world calls us to or these instincts or what we're drawing to, but we're supposed to look different within the church. And there's some probably easy ways we can point that out. Like we know that the Bible has like certain commandments with how we use our money that might be in contrast. Like, okay, Christians, we are supposed to be generous with the things God has granted to us. Like it's not ours, it's the Lord. So I'm going to be open with my home, with my time, with my resources, with my finances. We know that might be in contrast to some things of the world. And we can look at like the teachings of Jesus and how he talks about, you know, like uh, most people forgive people they care about, but we're also supposed to forgive our enemies. So we, we know that there is supposed to be some distinctives when it comes to the people who claim to follow Jesus. And so uh, along that line this morning, uh, I, I would say we, we're going to spend some time this morning, and Amanda already kind of introduced it, uh, that one of our values of a church is pursuing diversity. We just should recognize that all of us have a worldly human pull towards sameness, and we can see that probably in all the areas of our lives, from our, our, our friend groups to our associates to what we do, our regular patterns of life, like we are pulled towards sameness. And that happens within the church because the church is inhabited by humans and that is a human pull. Like we like rhythm, we like routine, we like familiarity. And so that um, um, will transcend itself into our relationships. And it can be really easy as we look at the way we've set up our lives uh, that we typically like to be around people that are similar to us, that think the same things, that maybe enjoy the same things. And so we have this human pull towards sameness. But going back to this idea that Jesus is bigger than my individual experience, one of the ways God has designed his church 
is that we will get a bigger picture of who the God of the universe is when we experience the fellowship of the saints around us. And so that's one of the things we want to be about as a church. If our mission, our, what we're trying to accomplish here is discovering life and the power of God's grace and sharing it with others, part of our vision is, okay, how are we actually going to do that? So if that's like, okay, I want to do that. I want to discover life. I want to grow in what it means to follow Jesus. I do want to share it with others. Like, okay, how? That's why we've also translated into some things we are going to champion as a church. And so last week, Charlie talked about uh, participating in spiritual formation. Like we are supposed to be formed in Christ through the study of his word and through uh, spiritual disciplines like prayer. We want to grow in our own personal maturity. And then another aspect of that, of how do we discover life in the power of God's grace, is that collectively as a church, we pursue diversity. This is how we articulate it for our church We uh, put it like this. God created every person in his own image. Heaven will be filled with people from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Christ brings us together as one body through the cross, breaking down all barriers and hostility. We desire to see our church be generationally, ethnically, and socioeconomically diverse in order to be a reflection of God's heart for all people. We have the opportunity to create an environment where people can belong by reaching out to those in our community and workplaces from all walks of life, inviting them to discover and share life at Park Springs. And so that's one of the ways we want to accomplish the mission God has called us to, is to be intentional and specific in value, diversity, and the body. And so we've kind of broken it down into those three categories that I just read because, you know, that word gets thrown around a lot and might have some different implications. You might react to that word a little bit differently, but what we see in the scriptures and what we want to champion and highlight is that our church family, this home that we get to call Park Springs Bible Church, we hope and aspire and want to move towards having a diversity of people from different generations, from different ethnic and cultural backgrounds, and from different socioeconomic levels. So regardless of how you walked into this room this morning, or or if anybody walked into this room, we would hope this could be a spiritual home and a spiritual family that they could belong to. Regardless of how old or how young they are, regardless of what culture or language or ethnic background they come from, or regardless of how much money is in their bank account, we want this to be a place where everyone feels welcome to experience God and can have fellowship with one another. That's one of the ways we will continue to grow in what it means to experience life in the power of God's grace when we are not all the same, when we can take our varied experiences in all different walks of life and how those things have taught us about God and we can share those within the body, within community, our different gifts, our different abilities, our different life experiences, all for the glory of God. Because once again, my, my experience of God is limited to me. But when I have brothers and sisters in Christ, who have been in different places, who have seen different things, who come from different families, who have different um, 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 life experiences, it's going to broaden my view of God by being able to share life in a church family with them. And that's one of the things we want to champion. Hopefully it was clear from those scripture references in there that this is a biblical idea. But I I would say, you know, as you uh, read, I would say specifically the New Testament, but you get those pieces of it in the Old Testament, this idea of having diversity within the body of Christ, within the church of God, I would say biblically is both um, talked about it is present and it is difficult. 
So having uh, people from all walks of life together involved in relationship with each other, biblically, I would say it is present and it is difficult. So it's just some of the, uh, the highlights we can pull out from the New Testament. If you think about when Jesus called the disciples, so we typically uh, uh, focus on the ones that were fishermen and because a lot of them were, they were kind of the hardworking fellows uh, that Jesus called. But there's two disciples that we should take unique interest in that it talks about. One is named Simon, not Simon Peter, but he gives this a designation that Jesus called Simon the Zealot. And that was a political term. It meant he belonged to a group of Jewish people that were actively trying to overthrow the Roman Empire. They were the ones that weren't just kind of sitting back and waiting for things to work itself out historically. No, they were actively trying to, with military force, get rid of the occupying Roman Empire, the zealots. In fact, right after the Bible ends, that group actually does an uprising in uh, Jerusalem and the Roman army comes in and crushes all of them. So we have Simon the zealot, but then we also have Matthew the tax collector. So if, you, uh, if you've been around church, you kind of know what that position did as well. That meant he was a Jewish person that worked for the Romans to collect money to fund the occupying army in um, the Jewish nation. And so as far as like different types of people, I don't know if, uh, if, uh, if our political situation could compare to probably the animosity from those two different camps. Complicit with an occupying army, actively trying to overthrow an occupying army, Jesus calls them both into his group of 12. His small group had very different, varying political opinions as to their situation. But Jesus takes both of them and puts them in community to each other. Biblically, diversity is present and it is difficult. All throughout the New Testament, from the book of Acts through all the epistles, it's constantly touched on that there is um, reconciliation to be had between Jewish people and then Gentile people. You, you've probably seen those terms if you've done any reading of the scriptures, and we're going to get into a passage in Ephesians chapter 2 that talks about that. But that is a common three theme in the book of Acts after the Holy Spirit gets sent and the followers of Jesus begin to go out into the different areas. And it's not just Jewish people that are uh, placing their faith that Jesus is the, the promised Savior to the Jewish people, but it's Gentile people, people that are non-Jews, that are ethnically different from a different cultural background, that before Jewish people would have considered them outsiders, not inheritors of the promise of God, but through Jesus Christ, they've also been brought into this relationship, and we get a lot of tension. It's not easy. So if you read the book of Acts, it's a pretty common theme. They're trying to figure out, like, how does this work that when we have two different cultural backgrounds and different views, and we have viewed those people as the other, how can we now exist in one family? It is a common conversation throughout the New Testament of how can we, as the people of God that are claiming Jesus Christ, although we are very different how can we occupy the same spiritual family? How can God bring us together? It is present and it is difficult. And then finally, uh, James chapter two, uh, James talks about within the body of Christ, if you are having church, he talks about that you should not show preferential treatment to anybody who is wealthier. So that's another aspect of us getting together, another maybe human instinct. You know, it talks about in the Old Testament that uh, man looks at outward experience, but God looks at the heart. And so that's something we're going to have to contend against as people that we are uh, going to be judgmental by nature. And so we need to work against our bents. And that's one of the ways we can project upon, upon our brothers and sisters of ascribing value, spiritual value, based on how successful we are monetarily. And so you see all of these aspects within the scripture of how our humanness will pull us towards wanting to be around people that are just like us, but God calls us to something greater and to something better. 
and that is a diversity within the body that is going to glorify him, that isn't about me, that should push on me to take my eyes off of myself and to place them on Jesus. And so we want to move in these directions of valuing the things that God values because what I know truthfully is that when I put God first, it is for my good. It might not be my first instinct or my first choice, but it is for my good when God is glorified in the things he has called his church to. So if you would, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. So I'd say Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10 is one of the clearest, concise, just holistic passages on the gospel, of talking it through how we've been saved by Christ and through faith alone. And then Ephesians 11, Ephesians 2, verse 11 kind of comes after that, and it talks about this very thing we're discussing this morning. So Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11, says this. Therefore, remember that at one time, You Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father." So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so that is describing the spiritual reality that the people of God are supposed to be living out. And it has touches of the practical because it mentions that uh, ethnic divide right now, uh, right there, that um, the Jews and the Gentiles had some division. But what he's saying is that there is this spiritual reality that should supersede all of our differences and is the fact that we have all been saved and brought into the family of God only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Not our own merit, uh, not which family you are a part of, not how many VBSs you have gone to, only through the blood of Jesus Christ we have all been brought in. And the spiritual reality that is now contingent upon us to attempt to live and walk out by humbly following Jesus is that the dividing wall of hostility between people has been broken down by Christ. And so let me just tell you, I've, I've shared before, I've spent my whole life in church and I've experienced some hostility in church. You know, I grew up uh, Southern Baptist, and, you know, I can just think about uh, the idea of any form of change happening in some of the churches I grew up in and the level of hostility that would have erupted and sometimes did erupt when things were different than what certain people preferred. 
Like I've experienced some hostility in church. And a lot of times that hostility erupted around the idea of things being different. But what we see right here in the Bible is that a biblical value is difference. That Jesus is bigger than my own personal experience and that I'm going to get a fuller picture of who he is when I surrender and sacrifice my own ideas, my own background, my own upbringing for the greater thing that is life in Christ. And so that's what the spiritual reality is talking about is that all of us, regardless of our background, were once far off from Christ, and then through Jesus, we have been brought into this family. And so because of that reality, it should give us a perspective that although we have both been reconciled to God, we are also supposed to be reconciled to all those who claim Jesus as Lord. That there isn't supposed to be hostility within the body of Christ. There is because we're human and we're broken and we're flawed and that's going to continue to happen over and over and over again. But we have to value the things that God values and we have to recognize that we haven't walked it out perfectly. That there has been hostility. There will be hostility. We have to continue over and over and over again, position ourselves under the grace of Jesus and be an extension of grace to our brothers and sisters in Christ, specifically the ones God has called us to hear. Like there should be a significance placed on these relationships within this room that we are calling this church specifically, this body, this congregation, the place that we worship Jesus together. It's going to take even extra effort for us to live without hostility because we are going to see each other all the time. We are going to rub each other the wrong way. We are going to have to contend against each other's preferences on how we would like to see church look, act, and feel. But our goal, our aspiration, our value and vision of a church is that regardless of your age, regardless of your cultural background, regardless of your socioeconomic level, that this place could be the place you experience the grace of Jesus Christ through the teaching of his word, through the singing of songs, but I would say more importantly, through the relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, you think about just all the different passages within the scriptures that talk about how relationships are supposed to push us towards Jesus. You can go Old Testament, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. You can think about the epistles where it says that we should be spurring each other on to life and godliness. Like the relationships in this room matter. And we are going to get um, a fuller, more, uh, more accurate picture of the God we claim to serve when we are coming at it from a lot of different directions. That when we don't all have the same views, when we don't all have the same story, the same history, the same background, we want to realize that Jesus is bigger than my own personal experience. Uh, coming to college, I, I wouldn't say I was brought up in a bubble, but just kind of like where I was and stuff, most people did have a very similar experience. So kind of smaller town, Texas. Uh, my dad's a pastor, so I grew up all my life in the church. Uh, most of my close friendships were in the youth group. So we did the youth camp thing. We did all those things. That was kind of my experience. It was small town, Texas. And so most people uh, looked like me and had a very similar experience that I did that had grown up around church. Uh, and then coming to college, I was really excited to kind of like exit that and just see more of life. And so that was one of the things I enjoyed the most about going to the University of Texas at Arlington. Uh, consistently, it's ranked as the third most diverse university in the country. 
Uh, there's just people from all over the world, from all walks of life, and I love that. So I didn't know anybody there, so it kind of just went potluck on the roommate, uh, showed up at the dorms, and it was awesome. Uh, so just like my suite, I, I was living with five other dudes. Um, like I was the only one who was a Christian in, in that room, and to me, I, I really enjoyed that. My roommate uh, came in as an agnostic, had just never really been around church. Uh, there was one guy that had some Catholic upbringing. There was another guy uh, who was from Amsterdam. Uh, so just people from like all walks of life. Some of the friends I made really early uh, were from families that had uh, immigrated to the U.S. So I had friends from Bangladesh and India, from Nigeria, and just got to talk to people who didn't have the same experience that I did, which was great because my experience was limited to me. I could tell you what it was like to grow up in small town Texas in a Southern Baptist church um, and be taught the Bible your whole life. But I hadn't been with people who had come at it from a different perspective. And so I, I loved that aspect. And let me tell you, like, it grew my faith because I would have conversations with people that had a, a different life experience and a different perspective and their families had taught them different things. And it made me evaluate, okay, like, what do I actually believe about God? Do I just believe it because everybody around me believes it? Or do I believe it because God has done a work in my heart that has confirmed who he is over time to me? And so having that experience around people that were drastically different than me really refined my faith and drew me closer to the Lord. In the same way that should happen in this room that as we um, um, invest in relationships that might not be our natural bent towards, it's going to refine our faith and show off the glory of God. Uh, there is a historian named Larry Hurtado who wrote a book called Why on Earth Did Anyone Become a Christian in the First Three Centuries? And so it kind of explores this reality that we would know that like being a Christian at that time was not very popular, did not come with social advantages, but if you look at the history of the church, Christianity exploded in Rome while it was actively being persecuted. So you could be drugged from your home and killed for being a Christian, but people, more and more people continued to become Christians. So that's how he approached this book. And one of the things he identified was that there is a distinctiveness in how Christians live that was not normal for the time. So that's what he would say, like, hey, this is how Christians lived that was very much in contrast to their culture, and because it looked so different than what other people had experienced, people were interested in it. Like, hey, I see what the world has to offer, I see what my culture has to offer over here, but those Christians, they have something that's interesting, and I uh, want to know about it. So he identified um, uh, five uh, things, uh, five distinctives that Christians lived out that were attractive to people at the time and people continued to become Christians. I mean, I'm going to list all five to apply to our topic today. One of them was sexual integrity uh, for marriages. Uh, so at the time, there was the idea of monogamy, uh, but that was kind of extended only for women. Uh, so men were not expected to be chaste, and uh, just how all of the systems were set up, it was all a hierarchy, and so you could kind of go down to uh, whatever was the next level below you and take advantage of people. So people like, that were in slavery, people that were servants, uh, there was prostitution, and so uh, women were expected to be chaste and stay in the home, but men, it was kind of like whatever they wanted to do, but with the Christians, it was different. 
Monogamy was encouraged as a sign of fidelity to the Lord. And so uh, the whole idea, you think about what Paul says, like leave the marriage bed undefiled. The Christians were living that out of having sexual integrity in their relationships. And the people at the time noticed that. So that was one of the things that was very much in contrast with the culture. Another one was having a pro-life ethic. You know, we do think about that in this day, but even at the time, um, it was different that maybe you had a child you did not want. Oftentimes babies were left on street corners or in garbage heaps. And the Christians in Rome and the first century were known for collecting the babies because all human life valued to God. And in fact, even at the time, you know, say you, you had a child and just were at a, in a, at a place where, you know, finances were strapped. Sometimes people would sell their children into slavery or prostitution. And the Christians stood against that and said, no, like every life value, like we will take your child, we'll raise your child, we'll give you money. The Christians stood on that ethic. Uh, the third one uh, was forgiveness against persecution. And so actively the Romans were uh, killing Christians and they were not, um, did not have a position of prominence in the society. And the Christian response at the time was not to turn militant, but to just forgive and say, you know, it's okay if you kill us, we're still gonna honor Christ as Lord. Um, the fourth one, which begins to touch on our topic, is care for the poor. Um, you know, it was systems based on hierarchy, and it was kind of viewed like this was your lot in life. Um, you know, if you're poor, it's kind of your problem, your fault. And, and the Christians, um, historically, always, and even within the New Testament, care for the poor is close to the heart of God. You'd be hard-pressed to read three psalms in a row without finding something about caring for the poor. Like, it's close to the heart of God, and they lived it out uh, by not considering us and us and them, but bringing in people to their communities by extending themselves and their generosity. And so you see that already present uh, in uh, the first century church that was attractive to others that when they gathered, it was not based off positions of prominence of who got respected or who was valued, but all people were valued because of Jesus. And so that was something that was present in the Christians. And then finally, one of the things that was most different from the people and the groups and the hierarchy and the culture at the times is that when the Christians gathered, it was multi-ethnic. So you see that, I mean, we talked about it. It's present in the Bible and it's difficult. The world saw it too and said, there's something different going on there. At a time would, that would have been very tribal and splintered and fractured and people not trusting each other, those Christians, those who followed the way, those who claimed the Messiah of Jesus, lived in community, lived in fellowship with people from different ethnic backgrounds. And I would say, in short, people were living out the teachings of Jesus. You think about what the apostle writes about the church when he says, you are no longer Jew nor Greek, slave or free, but all are one in Christ. You know, just in general, as um, uh, the kind of the mid-2000s, uh, there was this resurgent on planting churches. Um, so there's all kinds of literature and stuff on it. You can find conference talks and different people talking about the church planting movement. Uh, my dad planted two churches as I was growing up, so that was very near and dear to our family heart. And so I've done a lot of reading on it. And so one of the things you get into as um, people, you know, there's consultants and there's groups and there's people like, hey, this is the best way to plant a church. Uh, one of the things that kind of came out of that is this idea of like church growth, church movement, church planting. And usually you are advised when you are planting a church is to target a specific demographic. 
because that's kind of the easiest way to get a bunch of people moving in the same direction together. And I, I wouldn't say that's all negative. There's just a reality to that. As humans, we kind of flock together based off interests or different reasons. But that is like something that is sometimes promoted as like, okay, you want to uh, plant a church in the inner city, you probably need to focus on college-educated uh, whoever, or wherever you are, it's like, okay, um, whoever is the primary demographic you're trying to reach, you need to kind of uh, organize your church around that principle so that you can get people into the door. And one of the realities just as a church that as we've, you know, thought and focused and prayed and asked God, like, what, God, do you want us to do here? It's to kind of reject that notion. I mean, we so often use the term family when it comes to our gathering of the church. And what we want to do is be a representative of the family of God. That the family has different ages, which is going to mean different generations have different preferences when it comes to gathering in church because of life experience and what you were brought up in. That's going to affect how you would most prefer church to happen on a Sunday morning. It means we want to have different ethnic backgrounds, which might mean that English wasn't your first language. We live in Arlington, who has adopted the moniker of the dream city because we have so many people that have made their way into Arlington. Arlington is a diverse city, which also includes people of different socioeconomic level. And so we don't want to focus on one demographic. We want to be the family of God here in our city to show the world around us that Jesus is for everyone, which means we have to pursue it. It is an active ask in our church. It means that as a church, we're going to make little choices about how we structure our ministries, on how we conduct a service that intentionally we want to hit a wide range of people. It means there is thought and purpose going into which songs we pick on a Sunday morning, that ideally we, we do know that there are some songs that are, are, are newer. It might be uh, structured a little louder, have different instruments that are emphasized. And then sometimes we do want to you know, bring in a hymn that the church has sang for 300 years. And we know that on any given Sunday, there's probably not one person in here that that would have been their choice for all of the elements of the service. But it is our choice. You know, we want a regular rhythm of promoting different languages in both the scripture readings and in uh, the singing, not because there is a whole lot of people who don't speak English in this room, but because it's going to remind our hearts that God's bigger than me and that God loves all people and that the glory of the Lord is going to be shown when people from every single background worship God together, that God wants his kids to be together in the same place. So we're going to make choices as a church to do those things. We want to encourage relationships that are uh, across the board through all ages. You know, we want to, uh, the older generation to be friends with the younger generation and be encouraged in that way. And sometimes it's hard. Like it does bring up issues and problems like probably all of us experienced with our own families when we went home over the holidays. Sometimes family is difficult. But it's what God values and we want to value it as well. So I would say for you, if you're sitting in here this morning and want to move in this direction as, with us as a church, um, I, I would just say, depending on how much time you've spent here at Park Springs, uh, that maybe you just need to come in on a Sunday and try something new. Uh, I know it's going to freak everybody out, but maybe you could sit on a different side of the room. Um, 
I know. But not everybody, because then we would just end up in the same spots. Let's say, you know, and I know, it's not, I know it's not a lot of time, but, you know, we give, you know, a minute or two to greet someone. And I even know for myself, you know, I, I usually stick in my section and I know the seven people that sit around me and I call it good. But, but, but maybe we walk to the other side of the room or maybe you take it upon yourself. If there's somebody in this room that you don't know, that you're going you're gonna to show the initiative, you're going to pursue that to get to know them. Uh, maybe you're going to ask somebody you don't even know if they want to go to lunch today versus the friends you feel comfortable with already. Maybe we could collectively just decide that we'll make little decisions that although I know I'm pulled towards routine and sameness, I'm going to extend myself towards others relationally because it might show me something bigger about God. Maybe we could decide that together. I was thinking about uh, the church and how God has been leading this movement that he set in motion and he's going to bring to fulfillment. Um, I've, I've been reading this book on, on church history um, that's written by a, a non-Christian. And so it is interesting um, as this historian pulls out just the impact of the church over time. And it just, it just kind of made me think of um, this family collectively that we belong to that call Jesus Lord. And it just kind of it struck me the idea of like a tapestry uh, that God's been weaving this story since he set this universe in motion and that what, what, what we've just seen happen through Jesus Christ and then the, the church of Jesus kick off and just God's been weaving all these different stories through different times, through different peoples, through different cultures and he's continuing to lead people towards himself. And you know, I just think about the very small thread that is Park Springs Bible Church. That for whatever time God gives us here in this community, that we want to shine brightly for the glory of Lord and the good of the people around us. That when our time is done, whatever God has granted to us, we get to be one single thread in this beautiful picture that is the church of Jesus that's going to be his bride and that's going to celebrate with him for forever. And let's just strive to do that well with anything that God's given us. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I do just thank you uh, that you're so much bigger than what, I've, than what I know. God, that your word says, now we can see in a mirror dimly, and that, that side is awesome. Uh, it's incredible, the different experiences I've had with you and with your church, God, that have anchored and transformed my life in so many ways. God, but I know that it's still a dim picture. God, that there's still so much more to know, to see, to experience of your goodness, of your power, of your creativity, of your awesomeness. God, and one of the ways I get to experience it is through your, your family. God, people that uh, know more than I do, people that have experienced different things than, than I do, that just think about life differently. God, help me to value that. God, help us collectively as a church to value that. God, that the, uh, the fellowship of the saints would extend beyond what is normal to me and what is familiar to me and what is easy for me. And that as a, a congregation, you would draw us deeper into valuing uh, just the full spectrum of the work you've done in the world and the different people you have called to yourself. And that through that, uh, that Jesus would be glorified here. God, that um, outsiders would see that we love each other because of you. 
um, that we love them because of you, that we love people because of you. God, let it be so here. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.